Hi, this is Tia Sirkar. I play Sabine Wren on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Twin Suns Transmission. Of course, it ends where it becomes a desert planet with twin suns. Hey, my name is Taylor Gray, and I play Ezra Bridger in Star Wars Rebels. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Twin Suns Transmission. Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this a bit more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. The garbage will do! Nothing will stand in our way. May the force be with us. Welcome everyone back to our second ever Twin Sons Outpost Book Club podcast. My name is Eric and I am joined by two fabulous people. My girlfriend, Amanda DeFonzo. Hey guys, how you doing? And Jesse Sanfilippo. Hey guys. And we are very excited because like I said, this is our second ever book club podcast where we are going to be reviewing some super cool Star Wars books, and we just finished Star Wars Thrawn, written by Timothy Zahn, and very different, right guys? Very different from our previous book, Master and Apprentice, by Claudia Gray. Oh yeah, I feel like it was a totally different writing style and a totally different perspective. We're switching up from Jedi and lightsaber duels to political intrigue and uh, some pretty sweet space battle. Yeah, going behind Imperial lines is always super different for me. I don't ever know how I'm going to feel about it because I'm generally a light side person. But Thrawn always captivates me. So I this was really fun. Oh, yeah. Mad love for Thrawn right now. <laughs> but it's pretty cool because, you know, we get to see the Imperial side of things. And we view them sort of as bad guys but then through this book you sort of end up rooting for Thrawn right I mean oh yeah he's he's got a lot going for him and and Thrawn and Eli both you it's like you're rooting for Eli to get promoted you know (laughs) you and then he's working for the Empire you know but you're rooting for him and you want him to get promoted and you want all these great things to happen for these characters and yet if if we never had this book and we saw them in a, a video or something like that, you know, they would they would be the bad guys, but not in this book. They're the protagonists, and I think that's really cool. Oh yeah, I feel like Timothy Zahn does a great job of getting you to empathize with these uh, key players in the Empire, and that's that's definitely like stepping into a different set of shoes right there. <laughs> yeah, and even then, Fran is still kind of like. A hero in the sense of the empire he's surrounded mm-hmm. by all of this corruption and discrimination and he kind of rises above it and looks down on the corruption so even within it being on the other side it, it still shows the dark side of the empire but thrawn seems to lean more on the light side most of the time yeah Well, uh, before we get into everything, I do want to say that it is storming here in Illinois, so uh, we're going to be recording from Camino if you do hear any rain or thunder or lightning. Obviously, you can't hear lightning, but (laughs) if you hear thunder or rain, it's because it's storming outside, but... uh, a lot of really cool things to uh, to discuss about this book, and let's let's talk a little bit about the writing style of Timothy Zahn and the the layout of this book, right? Like we said before, it's very different from 
what we read for our first book, uh, Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray. This one, uh, the chapters are a little bit longer, and we got some really cool sort of like monologues, it seemed like, by Thrawn at the beginning of every chapter that I thought were very interesting to kind of get Thrawn's take on certain situations and they're almost like lessons, I would say. Um, but Jesse, what do you think about like the beginning of every chapter? I loved the beginning of every chapter, especially because I listened to the audiobooks. And in the audiobooks, not only are you hearing that warrior proverb read by Thrawn, like this guy does the perfect voice for Thrawn, mm -hmm. but then they put the music from Rebels in the background, the organ music. Ooh. Uh, Every time you hear Thrawn, every time you see Thrawn, every time you're anticipating Thrawn, you hear that organ music in Rebels. And so they play that in the background while he's like reading you this like dark proverb. And it's just like, it just sets the tone for each chapter. I love it so much. Very right. chilling. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Amanda? How'd you like the, the style of the, of the writing and, you know, the chapters and everything? Once I got going and got, you know my feet in the water and started running. I, I really enjoyed how everything was written. It took me a little bit longer to switch gears and um, start really absorbing what was going on in this one because, you know, it's a little bit of a slow start trying to set the stage, which is, I think, very Thrawn-like anyways, and um, transitioning into the action parts because the last book we read was so much action, action, action. But once I got going, I mean... I wish I could have had more long chunks of time to be able to just sit and read it and like marathon read it. Yeah. To me, like I like shorter chapters. And so this was kind of a struggle for me to get through. Uh, Master and Apprentice were very short chapters. I could read mm -hmm. a couple before work, get up and then go. So this was a little bit longer. And the notes that I took in my notebook were so much longer. There's a ton more in this book as far as details and things that happen. Like with Claudia Gray, for example, like it's it's very linear with the timeline and it's very like, like um, I don't know what the right word is, but uh, the timeline is shorter. You know, this, mm -hmm. this expands more years. Like they're like, it's been three years since Thrawn has been working on the Thunder Wasp, you know? And I'm like, oh, okay, well, time went by pretty fast there. Like... Like, it's not the case with uh, Master and Apprentice. And, you know, we were talking, Amanda, you and I were talking mm -hmm. about how, you know, it's different with, like, the Harry Potter books, right? Because it's the same author with all the Harry Potter books. And then with Star Wars, you go from author to author, and then the writing styles are a little bit different. And so it, it, it's sort it's of an adjustment, adjustment to to get to uh, get used to the, the writing styles of these different authors. But let's talk a little bit about the book itself. And what we did with Master and Apprentice is we talked a little bit about some of the new characters and, and then got into some of the characters that we're familiar with. And so what I want to do this time is talk a little bit about some of the new characters that we get in this book. And predominantly, we have one main new character that we aren't familiar with in this book, and that is Eli Vanto. And Jesse, what do you think of Eli as a character? I mean, he's somebody new and interesting that we first get to see in this book. I really like Eli. 
he's another underdog, which mm-hmm. I usually t- tend to gravitate to. Um, I really like how he kind of, he was the equivalent, basically, of, not the equivalent, equivalent is probably not the right word, but, you know, Thrawn came in as an outsider, and he didn't fully know the language, he's blue, he's a chick, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's blue, big surprise, um, you know, but he's a chiss, so that's not even an alien regular in the galaxy as we know it. And Eli is from the Outer Rim, and he has a Outer Rim accent, and he's looked down upon already by his superiors, and um, they probably weren't going to have him make it far because he was, you know, just a son of a shipping family, you know? So I just thought it was really cool that they pair the two of them together and together Eli was kind of able to to show Thrawn how to almost how to thrive as an outsider you know does that make sense yeah yeah I also really liked how they emphasized the classism a lot in this book yes um I mean it's basically like blue collar or maybe from a different kind of heritage or something and then coming into a very white-collar business, upper-class, old money type of feel. You know, it's like the farm boy coming to the uh, the big city and hopping into the big business. I connected with Eli quite a bit. He was this nerdy kid, right? I mm-hmm. mean, he's good with numbers. He's, like you said, an outsider, and he grew up with the assumption that he would become the supply officer because that's what his parents had sort of engineered him to believe that he would become. I mean, that's what his family, like, business was, you know, being these supply officers. And I think a lot of people can connect with the fact that, you know, your parents have this expectation of you, Um, especially with people who have their own businesses or families who have their own businesses. Like, you know, as as somebody who runs a business, you want your son or your daughter or whoever it is to kind of take over the family business after you're gone. Um, And it's not necessarily the same thing, but it's, it's the fact that Eli's parents expected him to become this supply officer. And life took Eli in a different direction which I think is extremely cool because that's not what Eli wanted. It's not what he was expecting, but he got something even greater out of it. You know, the the place mm-hmm. where Eli ends up, I feel, is so much cooler than where he could have ended up. And we all go through that struggle of this is where I want to be, this is where I want to be, this is where I should be, and then life takes you in a different direction and you're somewhere totally different. So I think Eli's storyline was something that a lot of people can connect with oh yeah i agree and his parents were even wary when he started to you know diverge and he said every time he called he like hated his conversations with his parents (laughs) more and more because they could tell he was diverging farther and farther away from the path and that's definitely relatable your parents want you know the safe the easy path the path that is Mm -hmm. guaranteed success and so often, I mean, most of the time, 
that's it's not always the path we want to take. Everybody always strives to to be different, to do better. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it was really it was really relatable. Eli and his parents' relationship. I thought it was really cool to see him rise beyond what everyone thought he should be and would be and to become what he was meant to be and towards the end of the book really begin to own that and be impassioned by who he was becoming and embrace himself. That was a pretty, I think, epic arc for him. And Thrawn was probably the only one who would have even taken the moment to realize that he was so intelligent and that he was so tactically minded. Mm-hmm. You know, people just probably heard his accent, figured he was from the outer rim and just were going to discount him. And if it wasn't for Thrawn, you know, not having those prejudices, being from, you know, wild space, then nobody would have ever realized Eli's potential. Yeah. Yeah, and we see throughout this book both Arinda and Thrawn talk about only keeping people around who are useful to them. And Eli stuck by Thrawn this entire book, all the way up until the end. So you could tell that Thrawn needed Eli and wanted him on his side and and saw that he was useful to him and the Empire. And so if Thrawn... This guy who can almost do no wrong, who's one of the smartest beings in the galaxy, views Eli as a necessity. What does that tell you about Eli? You know, he's he is super important. And, you know, we we haven't read the second book. Uh, Amanda and I haven't. <laughs> I know you have, Jesse. Um, yeah. But we don't know anything about what's going to happen in the second book. So... Obviously, if you know things, don't say them. Um, <laughs> well, what happens with Eli? Is... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what I want to talk about is the ending of this book, right? I mean, we see Thrawn offer to um, to Night Swan, you know, to go to the Chiss Ascendancy and sort of be a representative and help out against all these threats that are coming from other parts of the galaxy or different galaxies. You know, in the in the outer rim and everything, in the unknown regions, and Night Swan refuses. But at the end of the book, we see Eli show up at you know in in the unknown regions and mm-hmm. communicate with the Chiss. So Eli is now that representative that Thrawn recommended. So, Amanda, what do you think about that? I mean, that's something that I was oh, not expecting. Man. I had mad goosebumps when I read that. That was. I was so, so excited for Eli, and I just, I couldn't be more excited and anxious to get on to the next book to see where that leads Eli. I think that it is a great place for him because he is so open-minded and non-judgmental and intelligent and capable of learning and absorbing and just continuing to grow, so I think he already had so much um, potential realized in this book I can't wait to see where he goes with it in the next book yeah and now Jesse I don't know anything I don't even know if Eli's in the second book but um <laughs> what do you what do you think about Eli and his sort of uh contributions to the Chiss ascendancy I think it's really cool I I was super proud of him trying not to (laughs) (laughs) um 
<laughs> Maybe don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I was I was thinking about maybe editing that part out, but I think it might be funny. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Eli, I think, is a great character. I think he definitely provides a lot of entertainment in this book and uh, a, a unique. You know, he's a unique character. Uh, we know we know Thrawn, and this is one thing I wanted to mention too, even before we go on. So this book takes place uh, between episodes three and four right so we have Mm -hmm. the empire and we have uh, the clone wars are over in the original thrawn book so there was an original thrawn trilogy that that was released by timothy zahn he created the character of thrawn that took place after episode six so those books are no longer quote-unquote canon these ones are these are the new ones these are the this is the new thrawn trilogy so the story is going to be a lot different and I did read the original Thrawn trilogy, and I loved it. I thought it was absolutely amazing. This one, like I said, I've only read the first book, but I think it really does Thrawn justice, and I can't wait to see where this goes. It's a different time period in Thrawn's life. This this shows us you know, how he goes up the ranks through the Empire, and I think that's really cool. So what I want to talk about next is Thrawn and Arinda. So Arinda Price... We get to see both her and Thrawn in Star Wars Rebels in Season 3 and 4. That's the majority of what we get to see on Lothal with Thrawn and, and Arinda and all that stuff. So we get to see what they are in the show. And you know, some of our listeners may not have seen Rebels all the way through, but we, you know, we get to see a lot of interaction between both Thrawn and Arinda. And what's cool about this book is that we get to see their first interactions. We get to see how they interact on, on a more deeper level, I guess, and their first their their first time meeting and all that stuff. I think would, which is really cool. But to me, it seemed like their uh, their growth is very paralleled. Mm-hmm. You know, they're both trying to work their way up through the ranks of the Empire, and one of them, Thrawn, is more more of a strategist and a military person and then the other one Arinda is more political and I think they're two sides of the same coin sort of just elevating their way whether it's through networking and knowing people or whether it's through you know hard work it's it's both of them um, yeah. both of them sort of climb up this imperial ladder if you will so, um, Amanda, we'll start with you, I guess. What do you think about the growth between Thrawn and Arinda throughout this book? I thought it was really, really interesting, and I like that we get to watch Thrawn and Arinda learning how to play the game together and eventually becoming allies. Not, I would not say friends, but they are definitely allies, and they definitely respect the value added that the other has to contribute to their own personal goals. So I thought that was really, really neat to watch or read more accurately how their paths become intertwined mm-hmm. and where they go from that and their, I guess, impasse at the end of the book where they both acknowledge that they could work towards mutually beneficial goals in the future yeah what about you jesse what do you think about the growth between the two of them i thought it was super interesting because while they are like you guys said the 
two sides of the same coin. Throughout reading, I came to like Thrawn a lot more than I liked him. He became more likable mm-hmm. as just a character, as in, you know, not totally a villain. Like, you saw that he, you know, had, you know, a heart and had restraint and wasn't like the other Imperials and was striving to be a good Imperial. Whereas Arinda, I feel like I didn't know I could hate her anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I hate her, like, exponentially more now. Yeah. Um, she's just awful. She's horrible. Like, at first I thought I was going to start feeling bad for her because she was getting betrayed by, you know, her, by Moff Gotti and... Um, mm-hmm. She got her family mind taken away from her. I was like, oh, man, am I going to start to like this chick? Am I going to feel bad for her? Is she going to get, you know, twisted and warped and made to be this evil thing? It's like bad stuff happened to her. But, like, there wasn't some, like, horrible defining moment that, like, drove her into darkness. She's just kind of maniacal. I think she's (laughs) just, like, a a sociopath, honestly. (laughs) She just doesn't care. She does awful things i know and like she has like these wholesome parents who are like constantly like oh my god what are you doing and they're like (laughs) horrified by her right her dad at the end of the book is just mortified by what how she's behaving and because he understands what she's doing and he's like uh what (laughs) right so it's like she made herself that way you know it's not like she was born into like um corrupt parents and like put in a corrupt environment like she she just wanted to be on top and she's willing to do anything she puts her own friend in jail for life i don't care if her friend betrayed her like jail for life like yeah she's just she's awful well let's talk about that a little bit so at one point in this book we see that jua here I mean, she gets arrested and she gets sent off to Uvo 4, the detention facility Mm -hmm. there. And Uvo 4, if you guys are in our Facebook group, the Twin Sons Outpost Facebook uh, book club group, we, uh, at least I mentioned that uh, Uvo 4 is a, it's a location that was first seen in the Star Wars Bounty Hunter game that um, follows Django Fett, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that's where he first meets Zam Wessel, because she's mm-hmm. a prisoner, and he creates this, like, big, you know, prison breakout, and they work together and escape, and then they go on, you know, about their about their mission. Um, so it was really cool for me to see Uvo 4 mentioned in a book like this that is now canon, but... Toward the end of that chapter, I don't remember what chapter it is exactly, they mentioned that here has been sending Arinda letters. And mm-hmm. we never get anything else with that. So is that something that you guys think is going to show up again at some point? Now, Jesse, I know you've read more, so if you don't, if you know something <laughs> that we don't, keep it quiet. <laughs> but um, is that something, Amanda, that you think is going to show up again in one of the following books? Or do you think that that is a defining a defining moment of Arinda's career where she just ignores it? Um, I personally think that we will get more from Ju here. I think that Arinda is going to go back to Coruscant and she is going to perhaps open those. And I think that there's something that's going to happen with her. I don't think that you can leave all these moral casualties behind and not face some kind of consequence. 
I mean, there's there's got to be some kind of lesson learned or they wouldn't have made that much emphasis and like made note of it in the book. I think Timothy Zahn is a very purposeful writer and he's got something else to say on that. And that's why he's leaving us this little Easter egg, this little seed that he's planted that's just waiting for the next book, I think. <laughs> Jesse, what about you? Are you allowed to say anything? <laughs> well, I don't know what you, I mean. <laughs> because it seems like, it seems like at one point, Jewy here and Arinda were legit friends. You yeah, know? I think. I think they were 100% legit friends. Um, I think Arinda really, really did like her. They were, they were, mm -hmm. she, I think she says at some point they were her only friends. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, she's just downright nasty. <laughs> she, she's willing, she doesn't care about anybody. Like she obviously cares about her parents, but like she doesn't care about them in the way that most people do like when you care and you love a family member you care and love the things that they love and you want what's best for them she doesn't even want that she's like i just need you to be alive because you're my parents and i love you but like not enough to like just rip yeah. you out of your home it gets yeah. no big deal and sell lost your love mine yeah she she's terrible <laughs> well so a lot of people who have read the book and a couple of them are like yeah arinda price she's so much worse in the book than she is in in the show she's so much worse she's so much worse i'm like really i i you know i haven't gotten to that part because in this book it doesn't happen until the end where arinda's yeah. just like oh well i'm gonna save everything i'm gonna just push this button have everything explode and everything Cosmic within the shield, just thing. like, you know, a bunch of civilians died and a bunch of the insurgents died, all to save face, all to protect herself from what the Empire would do to her had they known that she murdered one of the ISB agents to save her parents and to, you know, someone, get out of that situation. Yeah, and someone who okay. she had considered a friend to yeah. some extent and trained with and had a, a very interpersonal relationship with and she's like i feel nothing is that a problem yeah <laughs> i mean he was gonna kill her parents i didn't really feel yeah, bad for that guy i don't know <laughs> but I, I to me like to me everyone's like she's so much worse in the book and i'm like i don't know do you watch rebels like she was terrible <laughs> yeah like she, so for example, right, and I'm just going to get right into this right now. So there is a moment in this book where Thrawn is, I believe it's the Thunder Wasp, where he has Clone Wars tech. And in previous ships, I believe, yeah, like I said, I believe it's the Thunder Wasp, uh, the Thunder Wasp. But on the Blood Crow, Rossi, Rossi, she was like, yeah, you can't have your stuff here until we get there. And if it's not functional by that time, I'm going to take it. I'm going to get rid of all this stuff. Like she wasn't very accommodating to Thrawn with his Clone Wars stuff. And then you go to the Thunder Wasp and Chino's like, yeah, it's fine. You can keep it here. But an interesting thing about what Chino said was if we get those new TIE fighters that we're expecting, you're going to have to move all this stuff out of the way. And so for me, I was thinking like TIE Defender because that plays a huge part in Star Wars Rebels, mm -hmm. um, like the TIE Defender program or whatever. So and then we fast forward and we're in Rebels now. Right. And if you haven't watched Rebels, then maybe tune out here. But um, so in Rebels, Arinda literally blows up a fueling station that is critical to the TIE Defender program and to the Empire as a whole on Lothal, which is her home planet, <laughs> a mining facility that she literally used to own 
And, like, she has such strong ties to Lothal and all the mining and refinery, you know, facilities there. She literally blows it up, takes out a Jedi, takes out a bunch of her own men, and, you know, to me, that was almost worse, or at least on the same level, to what she did on Baton. Man, I almost forgot about that. She's terrible. <laughs> she doesn't care. She doesn't even care about Lothal. She doesn't, like, remember when she, you know, she talked about wanting to be in Coruscant, the glittering lights, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then she goes back to Lothal, and she's she's revisiting, rethinking about the sunset, like, where she thought when she lived on Lothal, she wondered if the people on Coruscant ever missed seeing the sunset. Mm-hmm. And then she gets back on Lothal, she's looking at the sunset, and she's like, yeah, I really don't miss it, and closes the blind. <laughs> like, she, like, she does not care about anything but herself whatsoever. She doesn't even want to enjoy a beautiful scenery. She has nothing but her own success. Yeah. Well, she's definitely an interesting character, and I think that the addition of you know, her presence in this book really makes Rebels that much better. And I can't wait to watch Rebels now that I've read this book. And I know this book was released prior to the ending of Rebels Season 4. And and, uh, I remember having you over, Jesse, to watch the conclusion of Rebels, uh, where there's that sort of interaction between Arinda Price and Ryder Azadi, who was the governor of Lothal before... Arinda and so I think you know watching I remember you talking about like oh gosh oh gosh like when Ryder was about to betray the rebels and everything and you're and I like I remember your reactions and now that I've actually read the book myself and know the history there I think like I'm super excited to go back and watch rebels now you know I'm I'm mad because now that I was restarting this book I kind of forgot that he was the same person again that sounds horrible (laughs) but now I definitely need to I feel like I want to re-listen to the beginning of the book because it's so hard for me with all of these like in the books if it's not like a main main character I don't always have the picture of who they are in my head and with these books where we go behind like the villain's eyes Mm -hmm. it's almost difficult to look at the good guys as good guys anymore you know, yeah. like even like with Night Swan, I just had to keep reminding myself like towards the end when we start to figure out who he is and, you know, what he's doing. Like, this is the good guy. Like, we just have we're on the bad guy side right now. Mm-hmm. Like, he's actually a good guy. Yeah. I just had to keep reminding myself of that. So I, that's why I forget about Azadi all the time, because like in this book, he's kind of like on the bad guy side. Yeah. And in, in, from Arinda's point of view. Right. Yep. Yep. Well, let's talk briefly before we move on to our next topic. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Thrawn and his growth as a character and how quickly he moved up the ranks. I mean, the Emperor wanted him to kind of go up the ranks as, as quick as possible. And, uh, you know, he went up very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was something that was kind of cool to see move from ship to ship and, you know, rank to rank. And it was upsetting obviously, to see Eli kind of stay stagnant with his rank for such a long time. But it was very fulfilling when he finally did get promoted. But with Thrawn, to me, it seemed like the whole book had a pattern, right? So first we get Thrawn, and and everyone's doubting him, and then he gets put on this new ship, and he gets thrown into this mission 
and and he has a plan and everyone's like no that plan sucks what are you doing that's not gonna work and then it works and then he explains how he knew how it was gonna work and then he goes back to high command and they're like we're gonna get you in trouble for what you just did because you didn't follow the rules and then charges are you know are dropped and then he essentially does that same thing again <laughs> like three or four times you know so thrawn definitely an unorthodox sort of leader mm-hmm. um and and commander within the empire but i think it was really cool to kind of see how he finally earns that badge of grand admiral at the end of the book and how palpatine literally hands him the rank the ranking insignia i think that was super cool I loved every interaction between Thrawn and the Emperor. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that gave such such good insight as to where Thrawn's head is at throughout, you know, his Imperial career versus what Palpatine. Like, I love the way Thrawn... It's the way he kind of perceives people and the way he is reading, you know, their body language Mm -hmm. and your facial expressions. Like, I love hearing him do that to the emperor, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's not very often. We, like, never get inside Palpatine's head ever. So it's that's, like, probably the closest you'll ever get is hearing Thrawn, like, read him. But what's even cooler is that almost at the end of the book, right, and we have Vader walk in. In that scene. So the only thing that Thrawn could really say about Vader was that he was walking with confidence. Is that he was confident. Because throughout the whole book, he's like, and his facial muscles relax and stiffen. You know, but Vader, you can't see his face. You can't tell what's going on with Vader's facial muscles or his shoulders. Like, you can just see him walk in with confidence. And that's it. And I love that. Mm Mm-hmm. I liked in that particular interaction with Palpatine at the end of the book that Thrawn managed to surprise Emperor Palpatine with his knowledge of the Death Star. Thrawn caused Palpatine to falter and get angry almost that he managed to figure out this super, super top secret information. And he's like, how do you know that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that's I think, a testament to Thrawn. Oh, totally. And I think Palpatine, you know, he obviously is the master of schemes. You know, mm-hmm. nobody gets one over on him. He's yep. he's been planning this for far before we ever even knew him. He's had this whole thing figured out. So for this guy to come in from the outer edges of you know, space and kind of figure out his whole gig within a few years. <laughs> uh, freaked him out a little bit. By the way, so you want to tell me about that super top secret Death Star? Because uh, <laughs> I'm intrigued. My interest is piqued. <laughs> right. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought it was pretty cool that we find out that Dunium and Iridium are involved in the the creation of the Death Star. Mm-hmm. It's just little things like that that really make reading these books that much more interesting. The details and even just like a metal that's used that is highly sought after that the Empire is is using for their secret weapon. Like it's cool to know that stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about chapter twenty seven. Oh. Chapter twenty seven might be the most intriguing chapter of this entire book. Throughout history, we know that Thrawn can pretty much outsmart anybody. 
Night Swan is somebody that throughout this book seemed like he could have been one step ahead of Thrawn at certain moments. It almost seemed like Night Swan was baiting Thrawn and Eli at one point where Night Swan knew exactly who Thrawn was and Eli and Thrawn didn't know who Night Swan was. They didn't know that it was Neville Signy. Like they, they had no idea who he was until Eli met him face to face. And so chapter 27 is the chapter where Thrawn and Night Swan meet face to face and have a discussion. The two masterminds meet up with each other and I think this is a fascinating chapter. Amanda, this was something that you really wanted to discuss. So Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that really stuck out to you in chapter 27? What stuck out to me is that this chapter really, the, the conversation he had with Night Swan really painted him not as inherently a bad guy but as someone who wanted to um preserve peace and hope he wanted structure and he wanted people to be doing well he wanted to protect his own people and he even went so far as to say that emperor palpatine's not going to live forever and we don't know who's going to replace him but if the empire is destabilized that's a big problem. That's another war. And yes, oppression is bad, but all out war and slaughter is worse. So, you know, I, I, he was leveling with Night Swan and really trying to show him the other side of what the rebellion could do. And gosh darn it, Zahn is really good at making you root for these bad guys, isn't he? <laughs> like, he, he just is. hooks you. I'm like, dang it. Oh. So I, that for me was really, that was probably my favorite bit that I read in the entire book was him being like, listen, I'm not for Palpatine. I'm not for the dark side. I am for preserving the light, which is also a theme that we kind of get in The Last Jedi is preserving the light and preserving hope and that light will be extinguished. You know what I mean? And that was really interesting to hear Thrawn talking about that and then me thinking back to The Last Jedi and being like, whoa. (laughs) This is a, a, a chapter where I felt like when people who have already read the book, they're like, oh, what cha- what chapter are you at? Like, what what's going on in the book? And I, I was like, I felt like Luis from Ant-Man. I was just so <laughs> excited. Like, I was just like talking super fast. And then Thrawn meets up with Night Swan, and then this happens, and this happens, and then Thrawn <laughs> shows up. It's like, whoa, dude, you want to help us out now, man? Like, I was, like, so excited just, like, oh talking about the whole chapter because so many amazing things happened in this chapter. And I feel like it was a way for, for uh, Timothy Zahn to give us backstory. I feel like that was the purpose of this chapter. It was backstory on Thrawn. He wasn't actually exiled at the beginning of the book. Mm-mm. You know, that was something that was real revealed in this chapter. We find out about Thrawn's true intentions. Like, at the very first, at the very beginning of the chapter, when Thrawn first meets up with Palpatine, Palpatine asks him about if it comes down to it where we get into a situation where the Chiss are going up against the Empire, which side are you going to, are you going to take? And Thrawn was, you know, obviously talking to Palpatine. He's like, well, I'll choose the Empire, of course. You know, and then at the end here, he's he is admitting that the Empire is corrupt and tyrannical. Mm-hmm. 
and he knows that the galaxy is always going to be threatened by chaos and he wants to just save his people and that's the primary goal of his and so i think it's interesting how he says one thing to palpatine he says another thing to night swan and everything is just out in the open at this point at the same time though is is he isn't he just kind of saying the same thing to both of them but appealing to different words like yeah like he's saying the same thing like he Mm -hmm. would still be on the side of the empire but i think his his intention is to have the empire and the chist to be on the same side so while his people are his top priority i think he views the empire as a vessel to protect his people i think that I don't think that he would have invited Night Swan to be an ambassador to the Chiss, knowing where he sat as far as being a part of the insurgents, if he was 100% for the Empire. I don't think it's necessarily for the Empire as far as Thrawn is concerned, but for the greater good, or what he believes is the greater good, regardless of all the atrocities that they may create because he thinks that not having the empire could create something worse. That's the thing is this chapter made me go back and forth on Thrawn so <laughs> much. Like at this at like at one point it's like making you be like, "Oh yeah, he's actually a good guy. Thrawn's a good guy." And then 2 seconds later he's like, "Oh yeah, we don't worry, I won't kill all these people. They're imperial resources." So <laughs> it's like he he is for the greater good, but like, you know, who else is for the greater good? Like Grindelwald and uh, like, you know, like it's, it's that, that term, like the greater good always means something bad in history. I like, oh, we're doing this for the greater good. Like, don't yeah. worry. You're just being oppressed, but everything else is fine. Your oppression doesn't matter. So Thrawn, like, while he means well for the galaxy and he sees a bigger picture that we're not seeing yet it's he's still like he's not night swan you know night swan is the guy who's not gonna leave his people behind he isn't going to join up with any empire or anything that he doesn't totally match his values because he knows it's not not completely what is in the right and he has these ideals of what is right Thrawn just sees I don't know I go back and forth with him he just it's all tactics it made me think of the end of Game of Thrones a little bit when uh, Daenerys says well they don't get to choose what's best for them right because I know because I am good and it's like whoa (laughs) I don't know and you see where they come from, and it's this entitled sense of, like, playing God almost. For some reason, I think I trust Thrawn more than Danny. Yes. Probably because <laughs> he up. didn't, he, like, <laughs> really, Governor Price is kind of Danny right now. <laughs> She's a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to bring up something that I thought was pretty cool. So, do you remember in in Rebels where Hera, she wants to go back to Ryloth, right? And she wants to get her Kalakori, the family heirloom that's passed along from generation to generation. 
And the Empire has obviously set up a, a fortress there, essentially, where Hera's home was and started working on different things and changed around the whole, um, you know, the whole structure to be sort of like an Imperial command center. And Thrawn ends up there, and while Hera goes back uh, with Ezra to find this Kalakori, she is acting sort of like a, uh, just a, a Twi'lek slave or, you know, just a random Twi'lek person that is, is going back to her home. And they end up capturing her, and everyone is just viewing her as who she is. Uh, well, they don't know that she's Hera. Until... Thrawn comes and he holds up the Kalakori and he knows exactly what it is and he sees a picture of Hera and uh, her parents on the wall and he knows exactly who he's talking to. He's the only one there that knows it's Hera. She's far more valuable than you realize. Uh, how do you mean? To defeat an enemy you must know them. Not simply their battle tactics, but their history, philosophy, art. I thought it was pretty cool that he studies the art and he said that quote, to defeat an enemy, you must know them. So I'm going to read a little quote from this chapter, chapter 27. So, Night Swan frowned. The story I heard was that you were rescued from exile. Thrawn says, I was unaware that knowledge had been released to the general public. It wasn't. Night Swan's smile holds wry humor. I had to do some digging to find it, as I had to dig to find the records of your time at Royal Imperial Academy, as well as all the other details of your career. And then Thrawn says, I am honored you found me worth such dedication. Night Swan shrugs. To defeat an enemy, you must know them. I thought it was very interesting that in this chapter, Night Swan is the one that says, to defeat an enemy, you must know them. And then that's recycled by Thrawn, in Rebels talking about Hera. I think that was really cool to kind of get that mm -hmm. that connection. He learns and grows and adapts with every interaction and every obstacle that's put in his path. Yeah. Yeah, and even just towards the end, Eli talks about everyone in Thrawn's presence either learns from him or, or never will. And Thrawn's <laughs> not above that. He recognizes a tactician in Night Swan, and, you know, Night Swan has, you know, been a step ahead of him, like we were saying earlier, a few times. So he would be silly not to, to learn and take from him his tactics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One other thing that I noticed is that if you guys remember sort of the last battle, right, where Thrawn has these ships that are out of out of place, right? They're, you know, Eli and Yularen are arguing back and forth with Thrawn about where the ships should be positioned, but Thrawn really had these sort of like repair barges full of TIE fighter squadrons, and they didn't understand that. That was something that Thrawn withheld from both Yularen and Eli. And what I wanted to talk about is the sort of comparison that we can make with The Last Jedi. A lot of people are like, well, Holdo and Leia should have told Poe about what was going on and about how they were fueling up the transports to go down the crate and, you know, all this stuff. But if you, if you think about it, this is something that people in command have to do. Like, not everything can be out there for everybody to know. I mean, it's, it's one thing for people in command to... to you know, be helpful to their to their uh, to their people, 
But at the same time, like if you're in a position of power, not everyone under you is going to know exactly everything that's going on. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, with Thrawn withholding that information about the TIE fighters and not necessarily telling Eli or Yularen, meanwhile, Eli and Yularen are like, what the heck, Thrawn? Come on, man. Like, they're out of place. What are you doing? And they're, they, didn't, they didn't react in the same way that Poe did. But Poe's a different person. If you think about what Poe is compared to Eli, right? Poe was born on Yavin 4. He was born sort of like in the heart of the rebellion. And his, I believe his father, Kess, if I'm not mistaken, fought for the rebellion. Mm-hmm. Like he was, he grew up in, in an area where he was a hothead person. Like he yeah. was good at what he does. He was good at blowing things up. And to Poe, that's how you win. And when people didn't tell Poe about what their plan was, he got pissed and did what his thing, you know, he did his thing. But at the same time, it's like we see here, right, in this in this book here, that Thrawn kept things from mm-hmm. people below him. Well, and that also happened in Clone Wars when the Council held things back from Anakin um, in the arc where they feigned Obi-Wan's death. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the time, things are withheld, so that an organic response happens. That organic response is necessary to further whatever the mission is and to not draw suspicion from other people. So it, it's it's a necessity. It's an unfortunate necessity for the person that's not being given, you know, the full spreadsheet of what the day is going to include, but yeah. it needs to happen. Right, and from the resistance versus the empire point of view, like it's just kind of the nature of those two different organizations. Like it's the nature of the resistance to rebel, to act out when you see something that you don't think is right, to to step up and, and be the right when it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Imperial Academy or the the Imperial, sorry, saying all the wrong things, the Imperial Navy, which is, just you know you have your orders whether they're corrupt or not you kind of just have to follow them yeah so i mean while they could worry all they want there's really nothing they can do until after thrawn would mess up and then things would get taken care of after it's just like the kind of two natures of those organizations yeah and you can't spoil the plan if you don't know what it is right 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 there you go all right now, we talked a little bit about, and we don't have to spend too much time on this, but we talked a little bit about uh, the Empire and reading the book through the eyes of somebody who's trying to, I guess, root for the Imperials. And like you said, with Night Swan and, and Governor Azadi, it's really like they're made out to be the bad guys here, but they're not, right? They're the good guys because we're reading from the point of view of the bad guys. And I think it's really cool to kind of see and read this book through the the point of view of the bad guys, uh, through the Empire. But to me, it really shows that wars are all about opinion of what is good. And what we see in Revenge of the Sith, right? Like, Palpatine says good is a point of view, Anakin. You know, like, it's, it's all about how you perceive good. And if you feel like what you're doing, like we talked about with the greater good and everything mm-hmm. like that, it's it's skewed the lines are skewed between good and evil and you might think that you're doing good you might think that you know whatever but it might be evil and i think it's really interesting with this book and a lot of other books like the darth bane trilogy which is no longer canon but that book is is the same way you're rooting for this sith lord essentially 
which is kind of strange. But how did you guys deal with reading about the Empire and, and uh, you know, rooting for, for Thrawn? <laughs> I, you know what, I kind of gave myself over wholeheartedly about halfway through the book, and I was like, all right, I, I really want to see what he does here, and I, I like how he's going about everything. Because mm-hmm. he's not malicious or vicious. He is not out for blood. He wants to spare life and values life when and where he can. And I, I felt like that was really endearing. I, I agree with you. I felt like Thrawn is inherently... I don't want to say is inherently good, but I I didn't perceive the Empire any differently, I don't think. Yeah. The Empire, to me, was still kind of like the big bad in this book. Thrawn, to me, it was very easy to get on the side of him being the good guy, even as an Imperial. But Here's a question, though. Yeah. Do you think that's because deep down Thrawn... I believe, will turn against the Empire if he needs to do so to save his people. Do you think that it's made so clear that that's the direction that Thrawn's going to go, that he will turn on the Empire mm-hmm. if he needs to? Be, if he needs to, I think that Thrawn is strategically positioning himself to be able to turn against the Empire in a critical blow if need be, if they do something that crosses lines for him personally. I- I still feel like he's, like, collecting the Empire. Like, I don't foresee a time where he's going to full-on turn on the Empire. Um, especially, like, knowing where it. he ends up in... Like, think about where he knows... Where, we, where he ends up in Rebels. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, there's really not time for him to do that unless we're talking like these books are going to go post rebels which would be awesome mm-hmm. um <laughs> <What>? <laughs> but i i just don't foresee him completely turning on it i feel like he's collecting them he's a, they're an asset they are a resource to the chiss ascendancy and i think he sees it as his you know responsibility to rank as high and to have as much influence within the empire so that he can sway them the way he needs to sway them to help out like we said the greater good and i do think if thrawn like by magic you know got to ever be the emperor which will never happen i do think it would be a better empire you know it might not be you know what it it might not be a republic or a democracy but it wouldn't it would be a better a better place yeah <laughs> i just keep going back to like you know some of the imperial officers that are like sir what happens if there's a resistance and he's just like destroy them <laughs> you know like, like i don't know yeah i do agree with you though i think yeah. it'll be better than it would be it would be better than palpatine but it's just funny how like thrawn answers in such direct ways you know he's very blunt yes. what happens if this happens and eh, just blow him up you know like <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, so I'm going to ask you this before we get into this discussion, Jesse. We get a lot of discussion about um, a threat from the unknown regions Mm -hmm. that could pose problems for the Chiss as well as the Empire someday. Do you know what that threat is? Yes or no? No. Okay, so we can. it's safe to talk about this. 
throughout Star Wars books in history that have been written prior to the Disney buyout and prior to canon books, the only thing that we know of that has come from different galaxies to pose a threat to the galaxy that we are familiar with is the Yuzhen Vong. The Yuzhen Vong are creatures that essentially are all organic. Their ships are organic, their weapons are organic, and they are kind of immune to the force, really. I mean, they, they have this armor called Von Dune Crab Armor, and you know, even as Jedi going up against them, it poses a real threat. I don't think that that's what this is, because this is not the pre-Disney, or this is the that was the pre-Disney story. I don't think, you know, a lot of the things that we see in in um, in Thrawn and in Rebels related to Thrawn's character are not the same as what we get in the original Thrawn trilogy. So I don't think that that's what it is. So my question to you guys is, what do you think it is? Do you think it could be something like a new version of the Yuzhen Bong? Well, that could definitely be one of them, because he says yeah. there's many threats. I, I'm wondering if there's something to do with Mortis and everything we got from there, and maybe a resurrection of some of that bad juju that was going on. <laughs> That's the first thing I think about, is the brother being free. Mm. Or the, the son, sorry. The first thing I thought about was Snoke, who he is and where he came from. All of that is still a mystery to us. He's not a Sith. He's just a bad dude with the Force. So <laughs> I wonder if there is this you know, other civilization out there somewhere of just like dark side, dark side. Yeah. Dark side force users who are just like more powerful than anything we've ever seen yet. Or if there's like some Sith army, something, you know, forming yeah. way beyond the reaches of anybody to be able to detect. Um, that's kind of where my mind was going with it. I feel like it wouldn't even be like, in a religious aspect like the Sith and the Jedi are, I think it would just be this great overwhelming darkness with no rules, no laws, just ruin everything. Create chaos. I think chaos, which is what Thrawn fears the most, is chaos. I, I think that that's what it would be, is just pure dark chaos. I'm interested to know more about the Chiss. Mm -hmm. because it seems like Thrawn is incredibly smart. And is that something that's unique to Thrawn, or are many of the Chiss of that same caliber? Are the Chiss themselves just inherently smart? Also, we know that the Chiss are warriors, and a lot of these myths that we hear about them, they're very tactical, they're very good at, uh, at war. So... If the Chiss view this threat as something that is imminent and something that is super serious and, you know, they deem it necessary for Thrawn to kind of investigate this empire to see if the empire could help them against this threat, like, that's a pretty big deal. Thrawn clearly is on the side of the Chiss. He's leaving out the Chiss homeworlds, the Chiss hyperspace routes in the Imperial archives of the hyperspace mapping. He knows something that that Palpatine doesn't, and 
throughout this book it's mentioned multiple times that there is a threat from unknown regions and it is it is making me think like crazy like i feel like i should be sheldon from the big bang theory with like a dry erase board just writing <laughs> things down and ideas because i don't i don't know i mean it's it's hard to say like it it really is and i'm very intrigued that you know they do, they do this they're like oh yeah throw a new anakin and then they're like i'll tell you some other time it's like like i want to know <laughs> You know, and I know we'll get more of that in the second book and things like that. I just, I just read four hundred plus pages. I want to know more about Anakin Thrawn. You, know? <laughs> you can't just drop that bomb and then be like, "Okay, yeah. tell you later." Hey. <laughs> so, and if you're saying that that you don't know what this, you know, threat from the unknown regions is, that means there's another book that we're gonna go through without the answer. So I think come uh. August, it'll be very interesting for us all to kind of reconvene and discuss what we get with this well just think a little bit forward to what the 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 next book that's coming out in august is named this this coming one that we're about to read is called alliance yes and this the next one coming out is called treason so i know we're wondering if thrawn's going to betray the empire i mean as far as we know to the end of thrawn's timeline he doesn't um, at least not in a way that Palpatine can't forgive. Did you guys see the San Diego Comic-Con exclusive for Thrawn Treason? What the cover looks like? No. What's it look like? <sighs> I'm Googling it. <laughs> <laughs> so they do this sometimes. So there'll be like a, a main cover, but then they'll have an exclusive cover that's different. Let me get this cover. Did you see the uh, cover... Ooh, I see it. I did see this. Do, should we talk about it? It's, yeah, let's oh, talk I, about it. So I'll text it to you right now, Amanda. Okay. But it is... <laughs> it's Thrawn sitting... And we'll post this sometime right after we post this podcast. But it is Thrawn sitting in the Emperor's chair, the Emperor's throne. Shut the front door. <laughs> With a whole bunch of other chiss behind him. That makes me think he's going to betray the Empire. But then how does Rebels make sense? Right. (laughs) We don't know when this takes place, um, though. I really will, like, I'll die. I'll be so happy if, if, if treason goes beyond Rebels. Because not only will we get the true end of you know that like almost cliffhanger of a rebels ending yeah. but like if they don't tell us where ezra is i'll be well if they tell <laughs> us where thrawn is they have to tell us where ezra is or whether or not he survived the but... point of it is we don't know what happens to thrawn at all we don't know what happens to ezra and at we have all. a new book that's coming out in august so or at the end of this month july so i think it'll be cool to see what happens but this cover potentially shows the option for Thrawn with a bunch of Chiss behind him kind of leading the way for the Chiss, it seems like. And the book is called Treason. Oh my goodness. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, but the point of this discussion is what do we think the threats are from the unknown regions? Uh, question mark. Nobody knows. I think it'll be cool to see what, that happen- <laughs> what happens with that. Um, all right, so we know what happens in Rebels, and we get to see, uh, obviously, four seasons 
with the Empire going up against the Rebels, and we get to see Thrawn in Rebels and also in this book and sort of how he gets to where he's going. But what I want to talk about related to that is the the change. So we've talked a little bit about this and Thrawn being a villain or is he not? Is he somebody that you root for or is he not? And Jesse, yes or no? This is a yes or no question and we'll have time to expand on this in a little bit. Is Thrawn really a villain? Yes or no? No. Okay. Amanda? I'm going to say no. I'm also going to say no. (laughs) I don't think he's a villain. I think he's doing what he needs to do for the... The best, the best that he knows for his people, and I think he views the empire as the best way to save his people. It's a means to an end, and he's doing his job, and he's doing it very well. Yeah. What's hard to think about, though, is if we had the same rebels going up against Thrawn in this mm-hmm. novel. You don't see them. We don't get any of their names you spanned out that entire story in this book you'd we'd probably be fine with what he did you know mm-hmm. because even throughout rebels even though he was there's no denying he was the villain of rebel rebels but he wasn't inherently awful you know he'd be like they won this time let them go like yeah. he mm-hmm. would do that kind of thing all the time with them even though he was still was awful to them you know he destroyed Hera's home and took so much away from them but he wasn't out of his way evil he just was kind of playing a game of tactics with them and he just wanted to win and do right by the empire yeah so like what you said, like if in this time Thrawn was going up against the rebels that we see in Rebels, right? That's what you were talking about for a second? Yeah, but you didn't know them and you didn't care about them. Okay. But let's just say, so going back to Arinda, I know we're talking about Thrawn, but like people were like, oh yeah, Arinda, you know, she's so much worse in the book and, you know, stuff like that. But like Arinda, she was going up against politicians and people like Jewy here who, and I've, I've read part of the audiobook, but Jewy here seemed kind of like an idiot just by the way that she talked. You know, oh, yeah. Linda, let's just go out and party. Like, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, her voice in that book is a lot. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's I, I've read part of the audiobook, so then when I read the actual book, that's how I say it in my head. <laughs> ruined her you know yeah. yourself i annoyed myself a little bit <laughs> in your but own head. think about it if if arinda was going up against kanan and hera and ezra and zeb and sabine and you know all the rebels that we're used to the rebels that we know are competent it's going to provide more of a challenge for arinda as smart as arinda is and as much as she will do to make things the way that she wants them to go She's not really going up against two Jedi at the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. But if you think about Jua here a little bit more, like, I mean, the voice they did give her was, you did a really great impression. That was perfect. Thank um, you. <laughs> the, the voice that they gave her, it kind of speaks to her character because her role, and if you think of her as, you know, a rebel going up against the Empire, 
her role in that was to just kind of like get to know people and you know be in the lives of these important people so that she could get information so kind of being that kind of like let's go party let's wrestle in the dojo tell me what you know about the empire Mm -hmm. like that's kind of like a good cover for her yeah yeah i agree she was an interesting character and i really like seeing all the politics like i'm really not a political person in the slightest but to see the lengths that that people in power will go to get what they want. Like, even Moff Gotti, you know, he's willing to throw this Polstein spice on on Arinda, which is highly illegal and will get her thrown in jail for the rest of her life. I mean, that's some that's a pretty serious thing to do. And uh, to get what he wants, he's going to do that. And I, it makes you really wonder, you know, about politics. So... Corruption. Yeah. Anyway, before we move on to some of our group discussions from people on Facebook and things like that, do either of you, Jesse or Amanda, have any final thoughts on Thrawn? Two thumbs up, baby. That was a great book. And I really... Timothy Zahn is such a smart writer, and it was really great having such a flushed out version of all of these characters that we get in Rebels. Yeah. Yeah, this this book is great. It's probably one of the best views into the Empire that we've ever gotten. And it really makes you think about, you know, how this lined up with Rebels. And going in a little bit more about the whole Death Star project, I thought it was really interesting at the end where they're talking about how he figured out, you know, know the death star when you go back and think about rebels and how he pushed more for the tie defender it was kind of like him versus you know um tarkin on him versus tarkin because tarkin was always pushing for the death star and you know and thrawn wanted to prove that the tie defenders were the better route to go it kind of makes you think like was he obviously he thought as as tactics go that he kept saying over and over again that it makes more sense to have a fleet instead of one big thing but at the same time it kind of reminds you like about you know is this death star a threat to the galaxy yes and thrawn knew that and i feel like he it also just feeds onto the he's a good guy thing where he was pushing to get his project which was a far less threatening to the galaxy, basically. Yeah. You could win wars with a fleet without destroying entire civilizations and planets and systems. And I, I, didn't, I think that he didn't want anyone to have that power. It's a little excessive. I think this book made me think really hard. And yeah. I like to consider myself not a super dumb person. <laughs> But, like, as I'm reading the book, right, and we're going along and Thrawn's plan is unfolding and he comes out on top in the end. And I'm like, how did that happen, though? And then Thrawn explains everything. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, (laughs) thanks for dumbing it down for me. Like, as a reader, I don't understand either. You know, I have to, like, read it a few times. And Timothy Zahn is, he comes up with, these great schemes and these great plans and it's something that Zahn has put into Thrawn just the the way the art of strategy 
And so I think it's it really speaks a lot about Timothy Zahn and his writing style mm-hmm. and what he puts into the character that I think makes Thrawn what he is. Yeah. And I don't think there's anybody else that should write Thrawn because Zahn does a phenomenal job. It's his baby. Yeah. I also yeah. liked that we got Thrawn's full name in this book. Um, can you, how do you pronounce it's that? Like, it's like Mithron Urodo. <laughs> yeah, Mithron Urodo. Yeah. I was like, that is so neat, because all throughout Rebels, I had no idea he was just like Madonna. Thrawn, <laughs> or Beyonce. <laughs> you just get yes. one name, that's it. <laughs> They're like, nah, that's too long. <laughs> well, I think we can all agree that this book is gets you thinking. This book really shows a different side of the Empire than what we see in the films and in the shows. I think it's cool to see how Thrawn works his way up the ranks to become this Grand Admiral that Mm -hmm. we see and that we know. I think they did a great job keeping the fans happy with the character of Thrawn despite having two different timelines and two different trilogies that are focused on this character. A lot of times when you do things like that, it really makes things messed up. (laughs) <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, for as somebody who has read the, the first Thrawn trilogy and now is reading this one, at least with the character of Thrawn, they're doing a phenomenal job. I, I love reading about him, and I, I'm very excited. And to me, the most exciting part of Star Wars is the Jedi and the Force and the lightsaber battles. So when you read about, like, you know, political meetings and strategy, it's like, okay, well, what's on TV? You know, but at the same time... <laughs> It's, it keeps you engaged. Just thinking like Thrawn does really keeps you engaged. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Two things. Wait till you get to the next book. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> and, and then the second thing is this book especially really makes me think about the future of where Star Wars is going. This whole unknown regions thing, I feel like, could play really big into where we're getting to the end end of the Skywalker saga and you know we know we have endless Star Wars coming from so many different angles so this I feel like could be leading us to or opening us up to a new part of a new part of Star Wars that we could be just slowly getting eased into that we don't even we don't even know where everything's going Mm -hmm. yet I just had like a smile on my face it was like (laughs) a Grinch you know it's like huge huge smile like I'm so excited yeah (laughs) very cool amanda this is uh your part why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit about what some of the people from our facebook and group discussions had said about the book absolutely on our wonderful tso book club facebook group we had connie saying i liked eli he seemed very real to me having so many deliberations with himself about where or what his path should be he reminded me sometimes of Anakin, just not satisfied at times, or also Luke, feeling frustrated that there was no traction in his life, career. So it was interesting to see his development. It was fun to hit the part in the story when he finally crossed over to the understanding that he's on a very privileged path and that he could use his strengths, supplies, numbers, shipping, etc., along with what he learned from Thrawn, 
reading people and analyzing patterns, etc., and combine the two elements to become a very good tactician and ultimately further his career. Great character development. Loved the end with the journal. I have a feeling we will be treated to more of what Thrawn left him in the journal for his work with the Chiss. And from Amanda, she loved the relationship between Thrawn and Eli Vanto, and I think that's a pretty unanimous heck yeah, we all loved it. That was amazing. And then we've got some more from Connie. Are we to assume that the journal that Thrawn left Eli contained all the entries in italics at the beginning of the chapters or something else? So what do you guys think? What do you guys think about the, the journal? I personally, like for me, when re- when Eli was reading that, he was like, is this meant to be like a history lesson or is this, I don't know what this is. So for me, it was, it was almost like Thrawn had recorded everything that had yeah. happened with the Blood Crow and the Thunder Wasp and the Chimera and all that type of stuff. So to me, it seemed more like a documentation yeah. of, of what happened with them. But I don't know what you guys... I, I think that Thrawn is like a football coach passing the torch and he's giving Eli his playbook. And that's what's happening. He is giving him a blueprint on how to become his best self what works, what doesn't work, successes, failures, what you learn from them and where to go from it. And I think that it's going to play a huge part in his interaction interactions with the Chiss. What about you, Jesse? I I definitely when I first read it, read it as it being like like any other journal, just like the chronicle of your life like you said, Eric, just him recording everything, but I love this idea like I can totally see him just including all these like proverbs like basically writing his own proverbs for each part of the story like it feels like like maybe these were his own chapter titles of his journal like or the end of each of his little entries like okay here's this battle and here are the things you should pull from it like I could totally Mm -hmm. see those chapter headings being in that journal for Eli oh nice I like where you went with that. (laughs) And from one of our newer listeners, Samantha, she said the first chapter was a great introduction to Thrawn and it's very interesting reading things from his point of view and how he analyzes things. Excited to learn more about his backstory and start the next book. So good. Happy for Eli and so expected Thrawn to get what he got. Oh, and from Patricia, he is so intuitive. Will he figure out who Darth Vader really is? If Emperor Palpatine is so good, can he read any ulterior motives in Thrawn? Are there any? Question mark, question mark. What do you guys think? Well, Jesse, you're not allowed to answer. I mean, I think (laughs) that Thrawn most definitely has his own set of motivations as far as this is concerned. I, I don't think he's for Palpatine. I don't think he's necessarily against him, but I don't think that he sees eye to eye with him and there will be his own brand of resistance in his position, I think. I think without, I mean, this is totally without giving anything away um, for the next book. I think Palpatine, I think we saw in this, in that last chapter where um, Thrawn is talking to Palpatine and asking about the Death Star, Palpatine looks at him with like, you know, disappointment and malice Um, malice and he you know tells him he understands like we were talking about earlier that he understands why he didn't give up you know the chiss locations and such like i 
think nothing is really going over Palpatine's head. I think he knows where Thrawn lies, and I think he really sees him... I think he outweighs the benefits over the risk of working with Thrawn. I think he mm-hmm. sees him as somebody who he really, really needs. And he's a he's an expert manipulator, so I, I think he does know... He sees what, that Thrawn has this other side of wanting to do right by the Chiss, and I think he still, you know, has that. What's the word I'm looking for? Narcissistic, kind of like thought in his head of being able to manipulate people. So I think he still thinks he can maybe get Thrawn to do more for him than Thrawn maybe realizes mm. he is. This makes me think that maybe in the next book we might get some. Palpatine figuring out where the Chiss are and dangling that over Thrawn or insinuating that he can manipulate Thrawn to his own end because this is kind of like a puppet master to puppet master type conversation. I think we don't need to forget who we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. We are dealing with Emperor Palpatine. (laughs) We are dealing with somebody who basically single-handedly convinced an entire civilization of people that he was the true leader that this republic needed to win the war. We are dealing with someone whose laugh came up in the (laughs) Rise of Skywalker trailer. (laughs) And And people like got goosebumps and cheered the crap out of everything. And this is someone who single-handedly without being found out, waged a war from both sides to get himself to where he wanted to be. He created the war. <laughs> like... yeah. I don't I don't think that when it comes to manipulation, leadership, and intelligence, that anybody rivals Palpatine. Mm-mm. Although Thrawn does a really great job of making you forget just how good Palpatine is because he's so good. I almost feel like, though, that they're almost, I mean, and you could tell me that Palpatine's better, that's fine, but I I feel like they're the two, they're going to just kind of, they know who each other are, and they're willing to take the risk of working with each other, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Because there's benefit. Right, like I don't know if one's necessarily going to pull something over the other one. I think that Thrawn's really good at reading people and Palpatine's really good at manipulating people and they're just going to choose to work together because it, because they both need each other. And they might just try to undermine each other as things go, but I think they kind of are going to, they pretty much both know what's going on. Yeah. Well, it's been a it's been a great time reading this book and, and discussing it not only with you two here tonight, but with everybody on Facebook and social media. Um, my favorite thing in this world is to talk about Star Wars, which is why we have podcasts. <laughs> um, but it's even better to read books like this and get a deeper understanding of how characters think and operate and to be able to discuss that on a deeper level with you guys. Is, is pretty great. So hopefully everybody enjoyed listening to us talk about uh, Thrawn by Timothy Zahn. I highly recommend the book. If you just listen to this podcast just as a like a fun thing to do when you haven't read it, I, I highly recommend going back and reading it to get some of the details because really there's only so much we can talk about in an hour and a half long podcast. So um, go back, read the book, 
reread the book like you just did, Jesse, just kind of going through. And like you said, you caught some details that you didn't last time. I think, I think, I, you know, it's something that you'll get entertainment out of for sure. Before we go, I think we should tell people where we're going with the with the book club. So, Amanda, what's our next book and what's going on with uh, the future of the book club? Our next book is going to be Thrawn Alliances, um, and that is leading up to the release of Thrawn Treason at the end of next month, which we will do um, for our fourth TSO book club book. And then I think what we're planning on doing after that is holding a poll and throwing a couple of books out there like um, Alphabet Squadron. And I know that Queen's Shadow was a really big one that people were hoping to get a look at. Um, and we've got some more books coming out on that too. So we're probably going to do um, a little bit of a poll for those to fill in until we get to the books that are going to be released a little bit later this year leading up to The Rise of Skywalker. And we are going to be starting The Road to the Rise of Skywalker. I just posted in our group page, or our group, um, I just posted in our Google Doc a image that was released for the Thrawn Alliances, the next book we're reading this coming month, and I just wanted to get your guys' reaction. Oh my gosh! (laughs) So it is a image, Thrawn in the center, and this is a, this is a slightly earlier version of Thrawn. He is in a Chiss military uniform. Um, And behind him, we have Anakin, Jedi Anakin, and Padme. A very conflicted-looking Jedi Anakin, and a very (laughs) steely-looking Padme. (laughs) Like, she does not look amused, man. I mean, Padme always means business. And a little, she looks a little disgusted. Baskin Robbins always finds out. (laughs) We just watched Ant-Man like last week, so you'll have to forgive all of his Ant-Man comments. (laughs) Yeah, no, it it looks pretty cool. That's Um, awesome. I'm very excited about this one because Anakin is my favorite character in all of Star Wars. So I'm excited to see this relationship that Thrawn has with Anakin uh if it is even a relationship it might have just been an an encounter I don't know um I'm very excited about that I didn't want to start reading it until we had this podcast and I can essentially put Thrawn on the shelf and take alliances off um sort of mentally move on if if you will and so I I'm I think tomorrow I'm gonna crack open the book and and go to town I'm very excited to see what this brings and and I hope that uh, we get more information because from my understanding, it's going to be a lot of like timeline jumps and going back and forth between certain things. Mm. So I hope we get more Eli. I hope we get more, you know, uh, of that relationship between Thrawn and the Emperor, as we were just discussing. But uh, I'm, like I said, don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm super looking forward to Batu coming back into play. Mm-hmm as I'm going to Galaxy's Edge at the end of August, so it'll be cool to get more information on that. And needless to say, I'm extremely psyched about alliances. Yes. Okay. Uh, Jesse, before we go, why don't you tell people where they can find us on social media? You can find us on Facebook, 
Twitter, and Instagram, all under the handle at Twin Sons Outpost. And for this particular podcast for the book club, it's our, our most important is getting on our Facebook group, um, which you can find through our page. Get in there, and we'll give you all the um, weekly chapters we're doing will be posted up there. So get in there and join us. Absolutely. And if you're looking for places to, f- to listen to our podcast, this is all going to be on our, on our website, which is www.twinsonsoutpost.com. Click on the tab on the left-hand side that says podcasts, and you'll see all of our podcast episodes there. You can also find us on the Star Wars podcast app, which is available through the Google Play Store. And you can find us on iTunes, which is pretty exciting. Don't forget to subscribe to Twin Suns and pay attention for upcoming episodes of Twin Suns Transmission, which Jesse and I host, talking about all the newest Star Wars updates and news across the galaxy. So until next time, you've been listening to Episode 2 of the Twin Suns Book Club Podcast, and we'll see you next time. May the Force be with you. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall, Harrison Dula from Star Wars Rebels. You've been listening to Twin Suns Transmission, an exciting show where sand gets everywhere. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Twin Suns Podcast Network. May the Force be with you, always. Hailmaster, Tatooine. It's controlled by the hut. Point on, how do we? This is your mother to me, I think.